Hey, if we could go ahead and uh, grab our seats real quick. We're going we're gonna to just take a short amount of time to do this. We've got some people that have got mics, and they'll come to you. So if you've got questions, if you could just raise your hands, and that way we can get to you. All right, good. Go ahead. Uh, this question is for Mr. Mondragon. I go to Death Valley every year, and I believe that I see these same things. The folding? Yeah. The crossbait? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. You can, uh, I just use Grand Thank Canyon you. as an example because Grand Canyon is so spectacular and you can see so many layers. But you find all of this evidence, all, the point is you find all of this evidence all over the face of the earth. In other words, in New Mexico, if we carved out or we dug down, we would see the same layering. We would find that same tapete layer. We would find fossils throughout. And you'd also find surface phenomenon. Now, Michael Ord was going to talk about some of the surface phenomenon. Unfortunately, uh, he's not going to be able to do that. But he was going to give more evidence of the Genesis flood, mainly from the surface. Hooray. Isn't there evidence of fossilizing in uh, the St. Helen? I believe so, yes. Because you have rapid depositing and sealing off of creatures. What happened to the dinosaurs? Oh, they died. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> okay, with, with the fuzzy language... Well, obvi obviously the, the dinosaurs died during the Genesis Flood. Most of them were wiped out, along with all of the other animals. You saw the movie Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Jurassic is one of those layers, and they named it Jurassic Park because most of the fossils are found primarily in that layer. So the Genesis Flood wiped out the dinosaurs. Yeah, the, uh, you mentioned most of them died out, but they were on the ark. Because the Bible never says he brought, God brought the grandma and grandpa creatures to the ark. The largest dinosaur egg we ever found is about a little bit bigger than a football. It means they had to start small, too. So they were on the ark, and we've only found about 50 to 100 different kinds of dinosaurs. We've known that for a long time. The evolutionists are now just discovering that. So they went on the ark, they came off the ark. What happened to them? Well, we're not sure what caused them to be extinct. It could have been other animals killed them, they died of natural causes, or we ate them, whatever. But as far as we know, notice how I say that, as far as we know, they are extinct. Evolutionists think about 65 million years ago, a meteor came down in the Yucatan Peninsula and killed all the dinosaurs and other creatures. But you turn the page in your biology textbook, it says they evolved into birds. You've got a contradiction in the textbooks right there. Well, how did they evolve into birds? Well, that's easy. All you got to do is read your textbook. Some of the smaller ones, reptiles, went up into the trees, off, jumped off the branches, did that for a while, and after several generations, grew feathers. Can I give you a homework assignment? <laughs> for the rest of your life, do this. Will you grow feathers? No, you will not, and neither would dinosaurs. Keep going, keep going. Because <laughs> what happens when a dinosaur jumps off a branch on a tree? Right, we have an instant splat on the surface, and what do we know about dead things? They don't evolve. But from a creationist viewpoint, they went on the ark, they came off the ark, and I'm going to talk about some pretty powerful evidence tonight. I'm going to talk about the more important question, where did they come from? That's the question the evolutionists cannot answer. But we're finding carbon-14 in dinosaur bones, which means they can only be a few thousand years old.
maybe only a couple hundred years old. We're finding soft tissue, red blood cells, and proteins still in the dinosaur bones, which means they haven't been dead that long. Because proteins come apart rapidly after your death. So yes, most of them died in the flood. All those that were on the ark perished. But they were on the ark, came off it, and got their t-shirts for surviving the big event. By the way, he, he gives an assignment. I'm going to give you an assignment. Look up Job chapter 40. A dinosaur is described in that chapter. So they existed for a while and then went extinct. Most of them. Were there dead sinners floating around the ark? Dead nope. sinners. Dead sinners. People. <laughs> what happened to all those? Did they fossilize too? No. Uh, we don't have good fossil potential. And when we die, like fish, we tend to float, get scavenged. Yeah. So we're not going to have many human fossils out there. We do find human fossils. They're called Neanderthals. Neanderthals were 100% humans. But no, there would have been, everybody that was not on there, I perished. Well, uh, the reason there are not many human fossils is because most humans run away from danger, <laughs> and most humans would have gone as far as they could to escape the flood and therefore not be covered by the sediment. And when they died, they would have floated away, drowning. So most of them died as a result of the floodwaters, and not many of them were covered over, relatively. Hello. I was going to ask about the dating, more information about the carbon dating, and also how some fossils are dated by the layers, but the later layers are dated by the fossils. Yep. Carbon-14. Carbon-14 is an interesting thing. I've written the chapters on it in the answers books. I'll try and keep this very simple, uh, very short, let's say short. Uh, carbon-14 gets produced in the atmosphere through the cosmic rays up there. We get the, they strike the upper atmosphere. And some of the nitrogen in our atmosphere gets converted into carbon-14. There's other kinds of carbon, carbon-12, carbon-13, carbon-14. Carbon-14 gets in all living creatures because we eat it and we breathe it. We're living creatures, therefore we have carbon-14 in us. So I have a question. When you die, do you continue to eat or breathe? No. no. See, science is easy. Therefore, we're not taking any more carbon-14 in us. But the carbon-14 that is in us continues to decay out. We estimate after about 80,000 years, and it's right around there, all the datable carbon-14 is gone. Therefore, the maximum age we could ever date using the best instruments would be about 80,000 years. It can only be used to date once living things. You can't use carbon-14 on rocks. There's the problem. Carbon-14 was based on an assumption. Dr. Willard Libby, the founder of it, even in his own research journal, noted there was an assumption, and noted that the assumption was not true, and ignored that because of his evolution belief, and got a Nobel Prize for it. Wow. Carbon-14 is only reliable up to about three to 4,000 years. After that, it loses all its reliability, because one, the Genesis flood would have uh, created a, a difference in the amount of carbon-14 hitting the atmosphere. So carbon-14 is only reliable up to about Three, four thousand years, and we're finding carbon 14 in dinosaurs. That means they cannot be millions of years old. We actually find carbon 14 in coal, which means it can't be millions, and we find carbon 14 in diamonds. Now, I'm explaining that real quickly. Diamonds. How many remember the old Superman movies where he crushed coal and turned it into diamonds? 
I'm going to make a mess of your mind here. That's not how coal is formed. Superman had it all wrong. Isn't that sad? Uh, diamonds, what they are, are deposits of pure carbon. That's what diamonds are. They're nothing but pure carbon. And they're supposed to be billions of years old. Should there be any carbon-14 in there? Absolutely not, but we're finding carbon-14 in diamonds. So carbon-14 is a friend of the creationist. It's one of the most powerful tools we have. For a, it's a very powerful tool for demonstrating a young Earth. Does that answer your question in a short manner there? And by the way, uh, a research project, probably the, the largest creationist research project, there's a book that summarizes the evidence that gives some of this data that Mike is telling you and basically undermines the assumptions on not only carbon-14 dating, but all medio, medio, uh, radiometric dating. Uh, the simplified version is called Thousands, Not Millions. It's on the, one of the book tables. Okay, so you talked about fuzzy language and magic words. Well, when we point that out to the teachers in the public schools, my, my kids go to public school, they're, usually they say, okay, I, I see what you're saying, but what, we're supposed to teach this. What, what else can we do? Well, we have to be very respectful of the teachers, first of all. Whether it's public school, Christian school, they're the authority in the classroom, and we need to treat it that way. We always need to ask our questions in a polite manner because they have jobs, too, and they have families. And they'd be very careful what they say. Different states have different laws. Some states demand it be, evolution be taught as a fact. You can take it offline with the teacher. Because if a teacher says the wrong thing, they could lose their job and they have a family to feed. So we have to keep those things in matter. I've actually spoken in several public schools, and I've never had anybody fired, because all I use is the science and the textbooks to cause great doubt about evolution. It's called FUD. That was an old acronym they used in IBM, Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. I plant that in their mind by using critical thinking and the science that's in their textbooks. And by the way, you as Christians, you ought to learn about evolution, not just the evidence that they show you, but also the evidence that totally destroys it because you need to interact and discuss with your uh, unbelieving friends that don't know better. One of the courses we're trying to build, or we're maybe get around this year or next year, depending on the funding, is what we call a uh, equipping course. We ran one about a dozen years ago on the origin of life, just that one topic. We train students how to ask good science questions in the classroom, how to respond to the teacher's response, how to write the reports on evolution, defeating evolution, and get A's and B's. We were very successful at that, and we want to bring that course back. you're saying with the fossils like with the pictures in the books when they when the when they find fossils do like evolutionists or the people that fossil fossil them up i guess do they tamper with it to make it like look like something else or do they like do something with it that makes it look different yes and no depends on the fossil the famous one is lucy anybody here named lucy probably won't admit it now but lucy was a uh, transition between apes and humans very famous one they teach in the school. Let me give you the big word, Australopithecine. Whoa. Australo means southern, pithecine, ape-like creature. I mean, we find these bones in southern parts of Africa, hence their name, Australopithecine. Well, Lucy stands about three, three and a half feet tall. When they found Lucy, the pelvic bone looked identical to an ape's. Now, here's the difference. 
Eight pelvic bone goes lateral this way because they're, they're quadrupeds. Anybody here a quadruped? How about until you've had your first cup of coffee? You're still a quadruped. Okay. Quadruped means your main form of locomotion is on all fours. We're bipeds. Well, being, having a lateral pelvic bone means they're more quadrupeds, walked around on all fours. The human pelvic bone is more like this, vertical. So we can walk upright on two legs, more comfortable. Well, when they found Lucy's, it was exactly like an ape's. Well, they assumed that can't be true. So their assumption was this. When Lucy was living, the pelvic bone must have looked human. But when she died, she laid out there in the open. Somehow the bones got broken apart, and somehow they fused together again to make them look like an ape. And this is what's on display now. They make Lucy's pelvic bone look identical to a human's, and that's not what they found. So, yes, there's a perfect case where they have tampered with it. No. I'm beginning, I'm beginning to think that uh, when anyone is presenting uh, ideas uh, that constitute a theory, uh, one has to wind up with some of those uh, fuzzy words. And uh, in Ray's uh, presentation, uh, I noted that um, he did reach into that kind of area a number of times. And that was perfectly fine because as Christians, we have to accept things by faith, and we realize that. It's the evolutionists that don't want to use faith. In fact, we're, we're, inter we're interpreting the same data, but we are interpreting the data. In fact, I think that one of the uh, problems with the evolutionists' presentation is that they don't say, we believe, we say, we have proved. Why do some dinosaurs have the same DNA as other living things? Why do some dinosaurs have the same DNA as other living things? Well, their DNA, there are certain things that have to be similar in all creatures' DNA because we breathe the same air and we eat similar foods. But there's drastic differences in their DNA than other creatures, too. It's just, let me give you an example. In well, our, first of all, all living things have DNA, first of all. Not just some dinosaurs, all living things. So there has to be some similarity in the DNA, because, again, the air. But here's an example. In your textbooks, they're going to say we're only about 3% different in our DNA between ape-like creatures. 3%? That's not, anybody feel like eating a banana right about now? <laughs> yes, yes. But that's false. That is false. We've now found it's about 20% different. But if we were only 3% difference between us and the apes in our DNA genome... That's 90 million differences. They don't put that number in the textbooks, do they? It's called deception. They'll talk about some of the things that are similar, but they don't talk about all the things that are completely dissimilar. So it's a very deceiving topic. That's a very good question because it's a very deception or deceiving thing they have, that they're doing. So we have to have what's called discernment. And the Bible teaches about discernment over and over again. And discernment means, and from a biblical standpoint, test all things against God's word. So we will have some similarity in our DNA, but we haven't found complete DNA from the dinosaurs. The fact that we are finding some of it means they can't be very old, because DNA decomposes rather rapidly, too. Great question. Thank you. Oh, yes. Um, 
I read that you're a mathematician. Another, another good middle schooler. I only act like it. I'm really very old. <laughs> um, I read that you're a mathematician. Is that true? Maybe, maybe not. I forgot uh, most of everything I ever knew. <laughs> oh, so uh, I'm very interested in the scriptural foundations of mathematics. Have right. you ever... Uh, I, proved, I proved beyond a doubt <laughs> that you can't have math mathematics without the scripture, without God. That's right. You're exactly but right. Have you ever done any? I it's so abstract. That. It's not like I do a uh, a talk on how big is God, and I go through probabilities. I go. I do a lot of probabilities on certain things, but I haven't proved about the Bible. The Bible does have a lot on numbers. It's not. That's not the issue. It's where are numbers from? Where are they from? Why does mathematics work? Yes. And how do our minds learn Those, it? Why is one plus one always two? Why is that? It's, cause it, it's the Bible. because it's all in God. God yes. knows everything. He knows all the mathematics. It's yes, he does. And people have always come to. There have been some studies on that. I have not done one of those. Okay. But that's a good point because mathematics is only reliable because it comes from God. Well, it's only reliable because he created the earth with it. Yes. I mean, it wouldn't work. And he created all that trigonometry and binomial exponents, ex, uh, exponents have, and all that great for, stuff you like. We have time for one more question back here in the back. For the um, answer there, on my website, which I can give you later, I teach a course, and it's on the website. It's the biblical foundation for all things. Not some things, all things, including mathematics. Um, do you think perhaps one of the reasons that the theory of evolution exists is that people are just looking for an excuse not to believe in a divine creator? Uh, yes, um, Charles Darwin did not invent evolution. He popularized it. The Greeks believed in evolution, but they did not begin it. The very foundation for evolutionism is in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent comes in and says, And ye shall be as God. You rule out a creator God who becomes God in our eyes. Man becomes the measure of all things. That is the root of evolutionism right there. Get rid of a creator God, then we're in control of all things. And then we're, as you were saying, Ray, we're not accountable to anybody but really ourselves. And that's the, that's the thrust of evolutionism right there. Hey, we're out of time, and I just want to thank, uh, let's give these guys a hand and a round of applause. Thank you so much. Appreciate you doing that. Um, we're grateful that you could be here. Uh, let me just uh, remind you, if you pick up a brochure, we've got a time tonight at 7 o'clock. We're going to be opening up uh, at 6.30. The doors will be open, and we'll be here 7 to 8.30. And then tomorrow morning, we've got a bunch of breakout sessions, uh, different people sharing about different things, and we'll have a, a get-together here at the end of that uh, in order to have a Q&A time, okay? So, thanks you so much for coming today. Students, we appreciate you being here. We're grateful for that. Y'all have a wonderful day, okay? God bless. Take care.